There are about 12 million searches per month for dispensary near me related terms, whether it's near me or in-state XYZ or in-city or whatever. The second type of search online that people are going to be doing is what I call product-related searches. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to an episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. With me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, got a very special guest, Jeremy Johnson, business development for Dispense. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing real well. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to talk to Jeremy. You know, I'm kind of just bushy-tailed, bright eyes, ready to learn everything I can about the marketing and e-commerce space uh, in the cannabis industry. How are you doing, Brian? I'm excited to talk marketing, as you probably are imagining, Galen. And I think more excited to talk to Jeremy about some of the insights he's been posting on social media to help others that may be intrigued and interested to kind of expand on some of those topics. So Jeremy, unfortunately, before we get started, we've got an East Coast, West Coast bottle. So if you had to pick a coast, which one would you choose? Midwest, bro. <laughs> I live on I live on Lake Superior. There's nothing better than fresh water. Lake Superior is the greatest of all the Great Lakes. So no East Coast, no West Coast. I'm good right here. I got it. The greatest of all the lakes. I really like that one. So before we dive in, Jeremy, can you give a little background about yourself and kind of how you got into the cannabis space? Yeah. Uh, so my my journey in cannabis has been a uh, lifelong one, if you will. My parents were both in the legacy uh, space, as we call it now, the, the politically correct term there. But I was fortunate that when I turned 18 uh, in 2007, uh, we were just getting ready to legalize here in Michigan. Um, so we, we voted to go legal. Um, I got my med card in 2008. And that's how I got started as a as a caregiver. Um, so I've I've been a, a caregiver in the space for quite a few years. Then I I moved out to California, uh, got a, got involved there. Was um, actually got to I've actually got to vote in three different states on cannabis uh, propositions. So uh, caregiver in Michigan, got to vote in California on on one of the laws there. Got to vote in Oregon when I was living there, and got to be a part of the rec movement there when it was first starting. But then in 2000, I think it was about 2017, I moved back home to Michigan full time after working in the tech space for quite a few years and really started to focus on making a transition into cannabis full time. It was clear that we were going to be voting. I had confidence in the state of Michigan to pass rec and wanted to get in. So in, in 2018, I worked with a group up here that was applying for a retail license and I had. I also had some business on the real estate side. So I helped get their second location up and running and then helped a lot with licensing and real estate for additional locations after that. But really where I saw the opportunity was combining my tech experience with cannabis. We opened our, our first door in November of 2019. Uh, and as I'm sure you guys are aware, COVID was right around the corner. So for me in like March of 2020, there was this like, moment where the website went from a couple hundred visitors a day to like 10,000 plus visitors a day. And we had to build a new website basically overnight. 95% of our orders were online and the other 5% were people calling in. 
So that was, that was it for me. Like once that clicked, I was like, all right, I'm selling weed online for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think that's the perfect uh, transition. So kind of talking about your role at Dispens and some of the things that are currently happening in the street. I guess the high level overview, are cannabis companies currently doing e-com or cannabis sales? And then let's kind of take it from there. Yeah, uh, I, I still think e-commerce is really underrated and underutilized in in cannabis. But e-commerce is a huge part of it for the people that are doing it. And you know, there's this interesting pattern that I've noticed where, depending on where you were in the legalization pipeline when COVID hit, that kind of influences how big your state or region is on e-commerce. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So again, Michigan was right there. November 2019 was when the first rec store started to open in Michigan and right around the corner was COVID. So if you wanted to survive in Michigan, you had to sell online. Illinois, similar timeline, a little bit earlier though. Massachusetts, very similar timeline. And then everything after that, um, states like New Jersey, those ones had this like trickle effect. So like these East Coast states that are legalizing now saw how well, Illinois, Michigan, Massachusetts did with online sales, and they're adopting. But if you go back and you look at states like Colorado, Washington, Oregon, California, a lot of them, their only online presence is Weed Maps or Leafly. They might not even have a website. And so you're, you're kind of stuck in this in between, uh, you know, some of the larger companies and Embark or whoever in California might have an online presence and be selling online. What is it? I think Airship Supply Company in California probably does the most online sales. But other than that, like there's really this divide and it almost ends up being West Coast versus the rest of the country. <laughs> uh, West Coast is kind of stuck in the past right now. Midwest, I would say, is leading the way, uh, oddly enough. And then East Coast is right behind it, at least in my experience. And that's very anecdotal. Is that because you think the West Coast operators, and we're just making assumptions here, is that because you think that they didn't need it? Most of the traffic came in from foot traffic. And then with COVID happened, most of it went online. And uh, the newer companies or the newer states had to invest in that infrastructure. What do you think is the theory behind it? My theory is that with the Midwest, you had to do it. You know, they, Michigan, Michigan and Illinois like shut down stores and they were, they were not letting anybody in where like, with California, you already had such a gray area with cannabis. People were just like, if it's not broken, we're not fixing it. We're not investing more money. We're not getting this stuff up and running. So it was just a timing thing. But it's been crazy to see. I also think that, like, oddly enough, Michigan in the Midwest has a really high adoption rate for technology. Like, everybody does everything on their phone. Um, and then you have a lot of illegal states in the Midwest too. So, like, people are ordering online ahead of time before they drive three to eight hours to go pick stuff up. They want to see what you have in stock. They want to reserve it before they make that huge round trip because it's they don't want to get there and not be able to pick up the one product that they love, you know? So being online is probably hyper competitive. How do you separate yourself uh when someone's just kind of Google searching like I want some weed near me kind of a situation? Yeah. It, it is pretty competitive. Um, I, I think that right now, there's still a ton of opportunity in the space, especially depending on the region, because a lot of people aren't taking advantage of it. But there's kind of two main forms of searches, right? There's your dispensary near me type searches where people are just like, hey, what's the closest dispensary to me? Or maybe I'm in Wisconsin where there's no legal dispensaries. And I'm like, 
hey, what's the closest dispensary to Green Bay, Wisconsin? And then I'm finding stores in the Upper Peninsula. Or if I'm in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I'm finding stores in Illinois. Soon, if I'm in like Eau Claire, I'm going to be seeing stores in Minnesota because they're coming online. Wisconsin is just this island of uh, no cannabis, unfortunately. I like to pick on them. Um, so that, <laughs> one type of like search that is probably the most competitive. I'll, I'll throw some numbers out here. There are about 12 million searches per month for dispensary near me related terms, whether it's near me or in-state XYZ or in-city or whatever. The second type of search online that people are going to be doing is what I call product-related searches. So that's any combination, a brand, a strain, or a category, or all three. So something like, I'm looking for Jeter pre-rolls. Uh, you know, like I really want Jeter. My buddy gave me one at a party. It was fire. Like, where where can I buy Jeter pre rolls near me? And those actually outnumber dispensary searches. It's really hard to get accurate numbers on it because it, it's such a wide range of searches when you have those three different variables. But strain searches alone are over 11 million searches per month. And a lot of people think like, oh, these aren't high intent searches. Like they're just people looking for information. But when you start to get into these combinations of like Jeter pre-rolls near me or like Bubba Kush near me or, or whatever, like those are people looking to buy cannabis. They really are. I don't really know the exact numbers on total amount of product related searches, but I would say it's well above and beyond dispensary related searches. And those, there is very, very little competition for. And that's one of the biggest opportunities for cannabis retailers right now. So just stepping back, what does high intent mean? And what are those opportunities? What can brands do currently in order to take advantage of those opportunities? So high intent is like to purchase, right? Um, you have a couple of different types of intent when searching. There's informational, there's navigational, there's purchasing intent. So you can be high intent in any of those categories, but in this case, we're, we're selling cannabis. And so the intent we're looking for is the intent to purchase. Uh, so if somebody's Googling, where can I find Jeter pre-rolls near me, Wana gummies near me, Kiva chocolates, whatever, you can bet they're looking to buy it and probably looking to buy it soon. So those are high intent searches. And the easiest way to take advantage of that right now is to make sure that you have a website that has a up-to-date and accurate menu on, on your website, but also a menu that's crawlable and indexable by Google. Um, and that brings up a really kind of convoluted topic, but you know, we're uh, I'll, I'll give this context and then you can ask more questions and we can dive into it. But like we're a really unique situation in cannabis where we're one of the only industries in the world where most of the online content is, is in an iframe. Um, Google has a really hard time crawling and reading iframes. And so when you Google a product, 9 times out of 10, you're going to get a result for a, a marketplace, whether it's Dutchie, uh, iHeartJane, Weedmaps, or Leafly. You're not going to get a result for a local dispensary, even though their menus online. Um, and that's because they're, most of them are using iframe menus that Google can't crawl and index properly. What does crawl and index mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Google is a search engine. Um, and yeah. Google compiles their listings is they crawl the internet. So they have 
little Google robots that go through and read every single website and every page on every website. So number one, you have to be crawlable. And you, you, too, you can tell Google that you don't want it to crawl your website. You can say, hey, don't even come on my website. But even if you are crawlable, you have to be indexable as well. Um, so indexable means that Google has to be able to understand your content and put it into its little boxes to know what it is. So the unfortunate thing about iframes is that they're 25 plus year old technology, number one. But number two is that it's, it's just JavaScript reloading on the same page over and over again. And so Google has a really hard time reading JavaScript. Google prefers to read HTML. And then on top of it, because it's the same page just reloading itself, Google can't track the user journey and track the individual pages, which means it can't, it can't really track the individual products. The good part about Google, though, is that it comes out with tools in order to facilitate this. So an example would be Google Search Console would be able to allow you to see, you can put the URL link of your website in and it will tell you whether it's been indexed or not. And then you yep. can request it to index it. So I encourage everyone to understand that while Jeremy is breaking down exactly how this works, Google is here to facilitate the ability to play in their tools. Because again, Google is the the... I guess, king, you could call it. And they want everyone to play nicely with them because that's where most of the searches are from a regular basis. So I guess, Jeremy, my question following up is, these cannabis companies are leveraging iFrame, which Google does not like. Wouldn't it be advantageous for them to build their website and to build their tools not using iFrame? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, and I think at the beginning, it was a convenience thing. It was like, hey, this is the easiest way to do this is just to kind of Use an iframe to display this content, um, but now you know we're we're beyond it being a convenience thing. Uh, it should be an efficiency thing and a revenue driving thing. Um, but er- early on, you had very few people that were doing this. You know, the two big ones being True Leave uh, and Cresco, um, and they were doing it by scratch. You know, they were building out their own. They were they were connecting to the APIs of their POS systems. They were building out their own online platforms. And early on, you really didn't have out of the box what I call native solutions. So I, I break it down into native, uh, native online content and iframe online content. But you really didn't have anything like that out of the box. There was a company called Timber, which um, recently got purchased by Blaze and is now part of the Blaze e-commerce solution. But they were one of the only ones that were doing it. Um, there was also a company called Ola that went out of business uh, back in April this year. But they were very West Coast-based. Timber was very Oregon, a little bit of Northern Cali, and Olo was very Washington. Very limited reach overall. It really wasn't until about 2021 that more native solutions that were out of the box and user-friendly started to come online. I mean, I think the, the craziest part for our listeners that maybe don't understand the context is that cannabis is not a small online sales platform. I think one of the statistics that you put up said that the top 10 largest cannabis retailers in the country each average $400 million a year in online sales, totaling around $4 billion in total online sales. Is that... Am I reading that correctly? Yeah. Um, the, the only two that we have public data on are GTI and Cresco, um, which are both around $400 million a year. Um, in online uh, sales? In online sales alone. Yeah. <laughs> Online sales alone. And I, I have pretty good insight into some of the other top MSOs. And I know that they're around those numbers. Um, so I feel pretty confident in that estimate. Overall, 
my personal estimate is that there's probably a minimum of $9 billion a year in online sales across the industry, which accounts for 30% of the total retail sales in the US. That is not a small number, right? I know a lot of people are, are hearing it originally as if there's no out-of-the-box solution, which posed challenges. And we, we're talking about California not even having some of their retailers having websites. And, and you're dropping statistics that potentially up to $9 billion of sales are made online. Yeah. And, that, and, and a big part of that is that we, as an industry, can't use solution, you know, the, a big, well, a big part of, not a big part of the sales, but a big part of the problem is that we can't use standard platforms. You know, you can't use Square POS. You can't use Square e-commerce. You can't use Shopify e-commerce. You can't use these solutions that everybody else in the real world offers. And so that's where there were these like custom iframe solutions that were made before the native solutions started to come out for cannabis. It just kind of layers on top of just the challenges, right? So as a digital marketer, you come to one of these companies, you try and provide services, and then all the tools that you normally use are just not available. Again, because it's federally legal is likely the problem. And I would add Stripe to that list because I know Stripe is not a friend of the cannabis industry. Yeah. And that that was my like that was my big moment with wanting to join Dispense because you know, I started on the retail side. And when I was at the first dispensary that I worked for. I was, you know, I, I have 10 years in technology building websites and mobile apps for all sorts of businesses. And so when I got on to the cannabis side and I realized I could sell online, I was like, let me go and take my 10 years of experience and apply it to cannabis. But I couldn't do it because the software wasn't there. Uh, so when I, when I kind of saw this opportunity just to catch up to the mainstream technology, I was like, yeah, let's make this work and let's, let's bring technology to cannabis the way that normal e-commerce technology works. I think the most su surprising part about the whole concept of it is that some companies have looked at it and said, the challenge is just too big, right? Can't do it. And they've leaned into other kind of third-party companies in order to bring them sort of a website or a menu, exactly as you described. And, you know, your website is your, your largest footprint, right? Like you have the ability to influence and surround such a wider gap versus a physical storefront where someone needs to walk by or you need to do kind of marketing in order to attract people in with a website, you can bring in a wider audience, which is very advantageous, especially for some of the users that you were saying, dispensary near me. After the first dispensary chain that I worked for, I went to 315 in Michigan, here in Michigan, which some of you might be familiar with at one time was the largest non-vertically vertically integrated retailer. Um, they got purchased by Skymint. That's a that's a whole nother conversation there, how that's gone. But you know, in our marketing department, we had a saying that our our website was our largest store. Um, you know, we had a dozen plus stores. Overall, over 60% of our sales came from online. And so when you look at it and you break that down, no other retail store came close to comprising even 50% of the total sales. You know, most of those other retail stores, maybe they were, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20%. But either way, the website outweighed all those stores combined and then individually as well. And so that was always our saying. And the, again, the reach too. I mean, we were driving traffic. We had stores all over lower Michigan, but we were not. Not only were we driving traffic from where we had stores, but we were driving traffic from Ohio, from Indiana, from Illinois, from all these other places where otherwise without the internet, we didn't have reach there. Yeah, it'd be really hard for somebody in, in a 
different states to just randomly show up at your store and then be able to correlate how that happened and if it was anything more than just pure luck. Yeah. Or a billboard if you're lucky enough to be able to put a billboard. But a lot of states that are illegal also won't let that fly. Ah, cannabis. So when you're having conversations with clients in the space while working for Dispense, what is their current situation and what are they leaning on you in order to help them do? It depends so much regionally, right? Like a really good example right now would be like Maryland. Um, Maryland's an interesting one because they had this medical program. And I would say a lot of Maryland was on a weed maps or a Leafly platform because they're, you know, in the medical, you, you don't have quite as much opportunity. Your sales are lower. Maybe you're looking to save costs. So a website really wasn't priority for them. And so now as they transition into recreational, and they see this opportunity to open up to new people, not only within the state of Maryland, but maybe on the on bordering towns. They're like, all right, we got to step our website game up. How do we do it? And there's a lot more awareness today here in, in the middle of 2023 than there was at the beginning of 2020 when it comes to product-related searches. You know, it's interesting because people don't necessarily understand all the technical stuff that we covered earlier, but they do understand, hey. When somebody Googles the hottest brand in my state, I want to be the dispensary that shows up. And so that's how a lot of the conversations start is like, Hey, we heard that you can help us show up for product related searches. What do we got to do to make this happen? Have you noticed uh, like a, a trend where over the last three years, uh, more product searches have kind of come to be based on the maturity of these markets? Yes, very much so. There's kind of a pattern that happens. Um, so Early on, when a market first opens, or maybe the market's just illegal, a majority of searches are going to be for dispensary near me. Because uh, if you think about it, they're just trying to find where to get product. Michigan, for example, you know, when we opened in November 2019, early 2020, nobody's Googling where do I get Jeter pre-rolls. One, because there's no brands in Michigan. Two, there's definitely Jeter's. I don't even think Jeter exists at this point in 2019. <laughs> um, but nobody's Googling this. They're just like, where do I get weed? And they're probably buying bulk ounces or whatever from the dispensary. But then as markets mature, brands become a thing. People become loyal to those brands. And sometimes it's the store brand. Maybe they're, they're loyal to that retailer. So then searches change from searching for dispensary near me to searching for the dispensary that you love, you know, like what, like they're just typing in that dispensary name because they know they want it, or they become loyal to certain products. So then they're typing in Jeter pre rolls or Wana gummies or Kiva chocolates or or Wild, you know, like there's one one I'm forgetting what it is. It's the strawberry Wild gummies. Like I love them. My partner she loves them, and we can't find them anywhere up here. There's like every now and then a store will carry them. And it's so frustrating because very few stores around us have native menus. So when we search for it online, we get no help. But that that's where we're at in Michigan. Like we're loyal to these products and we want to know where to get them at. And so we're searching for it. But yeah, it's a, it's just a trend based on maturity. That, and I think I think that will continue, you know, and I think that will especially take hold with like as things get more connoisseur-esque, you know, like you're going to start searching for certain strains, just like you would search for certain types of wine. People are going to be like, oh, where can I get this GG4 that just came out by this one particular breeder? You know, they're going to want to know where that, where they can pick that up at. 
I think one of the challenging aspects when you talk to some of these smaller companies is that the understanding of the framework is that it's not a one-time cost to build a website and set it and forget it. You need to build the architecture around it, specifically like you're saying from an SEO standpoint, right? Because if someone like myself is searching for dispensaries near me early on in the market, I want to find location of proximity. But after I know where a dispensary is and I want to find a certain product, I might search edibles near me, right? Or edibles in New York. And then those edible companies want to then attract me to come in to adopt that loyalty. So how would a strategy, how would you position a strategy around that for, let's say, uh, uh, an edible brand who's looking to influence an edible purchaser like myself to become loyal to them in the future? That's a, a really interesting question. I think there's kind of two thoughts, two different thought classes on it. Um, so one is that like the brand wants to own those search terms. And so they want, you know, if, if it's, you know, let's let's take wild gummies, for example. Like if I'm searching wild gummies, maybe wild says, hey, we want to own that. And so anytime somebody search for searches for wild, we want to be the top results. There's another train of thought that's like, you know what? We just want people to buy our product from the retailers. And so we would prefer that our retailers are the top results. I don't know which one is the the right one. Personally, I prefer it to be on the retail side because I don't want to Google wild gummies near me, go to the wild website, go to a product finder, and then like have to search through it all. Like that's that's like 10 or 15 steps. I just want to Google wild gummies and have the first result be the dispensary that carries the wild strawberry gummies and be out the door. <laughs> that's what I want as a consumer, you know? So there's kind of two different thought classes on it. I guess I can dive deeper into either one if you want. I don't know where you want to go with that. Yeah, what are the benefits? Uh, both and kind of what would be the downsides of both? I, I think the, the straightforward benefit is it's an easier consumer experience to have a retailer rank for that. Because So then why wouldn't they just... like Why wouldn't you just follow that to be beneficial? Is there like some sort of economic or data kind of situation going the other way? Uh, people want to own their traffic and, and brands want to own their data too. You know, It's really hard for brands to have a connection with customers in the cannabis space. Um, so Jeter's are really great example of this. Like if you Google Jeter, they own the search results and they're one of the few brands that do it. You know, they might not have the the same um brand awareness as a as a can or a wild or a Kiva, but anywhere they have products, Michigan, Arizona, California, if you Google Jeter, they are showing up first over everybody. Um, and they they really put a lot of time and energy into into their SEO. And I think they did that for a couple of reasons. One, they want to have a direct line of communication with their customers. But then two, in California, they have the opportunity to sell direct to customer. They don't have that in Michigan. They don't have that in Arizona. Um, but they do in California. So there's this kind of battle between retailers and brands of like who owns the customer. I personally truly think that the retailer should own that relationship. I'll upset some people there. Um, you know, I, I look at it like beer. Like, I don't have a relationship with like Budweiser, but I do with my local grocery store, you know? <laughs> so, like, that's kind of how I look at it. And I think that, like, as somebody who's been in the cannabis industry for a long time, my relation, like, consumer relationships are rarely with the person that's growing it. It was with your dealer, right? Like, you had a dealer who was telling you what the hottest strains are, what the newest strains are. That's how relationships were built. And like, 
I, I just feel more comfortable and more in tune with that world. But I think that, I, I mean, Brian, I think you might have a, a, <laughs> a different view. I think it's, it's very flattering that you're very trusting, Jeremy. Uh, I think what happens, maybe not all cases, but in some instances, what would happen is if, for example, I was looking for, let's say, a Kiva product, right? And I got sent to a local dispensary. Then when I get on the menu, they can advertise other edible brands in front of my face prior to seeing that, which will maybe influence me to try a new product with an aggressive price discount, which a lot is what people are competing on now is price. So there's adoption from the category standpoint where they can steal my business and I can try a new one, which again, it's, it's marketing business. It's how the game works. But that's why a lot of those brands want to keep those relationships to ensure that the funnel, which is like someone searches for us, they end up on us and they can buy us directly. So we ensure that no one gets thiefed along the way. Maybe that's that's bad pool, but I think that's, yeah. how, that's what happens. I think that's a legit concern. And I, I see a little bit happening with that right now with like uh, people are starting to do like digital shelving. You know, and, and, you know, like I heard Jane offers this now. Um, smart, I don't know. Though. It is, it is smart. And it's, it's a little, I don't, I don't really love it either. Like I just Google ads runs the same game, right? It's the same game. And all we've done is just kind of transfer that directly into the, the pie and 10 area of purchasing, which is the menu. Yeah, I don't I don't love that as an as a strategy. Like I think you should build relationships with your vendors and like be loyal to them, but people are doing it. Um and and people are making it easier to do it. Uh I know that there are a lot of retailers and brands out there that are kind of fighting back against this. Um that's something that like we have made the decision as of right now to not do at dispense because of that animosity there. Uh we don't allow you to kind of do digital shell, like sell ads on your menu. Um, you could do it manually, I suppose, but it's not a feature that we built in because it tends to create some problems. Yeah. I think the other sticky thing about this whole situation is that a lot of retail locations, depending on the state, of course, aren't just a standalone retail reseller, right? They actually are vertically integrated as well. So they could have that whole kind of bias where they get bigger margins on their specific products that influences what they're talking to their customers about. So unfortunately, right now, it isn't just like clean, like other consumer packaged good industries, right? I mean, go to, go to sunnyside.shop, go to letsascend.com and guess what's showing up first? It's their own product. I mean, you, I would do the same thing though, right? It's a cutthroat industry. And I think that the scariest part is that not only is your strategy like offensively, sometimes you have to have an SEO strategy that's defensively and understanding like what your competitors are doing. And this is where I think some of the conversations with some of the, the brands or the retailers just kind of turn their head off because they're like, I'm continually investing resources. I don't have an expert to do all these things. So Jeremy, for these companies that are small and they're looking to get help, are they outsourcing it? Are they doing it internally? What, what are the best ways to, to kind of maximize? Yeah, I'll focus mainly on the retail side because that's the space I live in. Um, but there's kind of a couple different ways to do it. You can hire internally and you can build out a, a team. You know, you're bigger. That's more of a, a bigger company strategy. You know, your, your True Leaves and your Crescos again. Um, it, it, GTI as well, obviously. Um, and they're, they're building out these infrastructures. They have a CTO. They have engineers on their team, they have database architects, they have data analysts, right? Um, not everybody can afford a team of 12 people running their online infrastructure. So for your, your small to medium-sized businesses, the, the traditional route is typically 
It looks like, you know, maybe at the beginning, you're just listing on a marketplace like a Weed Maps or a Leafly, and that's your whole online presence. But then when you want to take it up a notch, there are uh, several options. You know, you could go with like a basic website builder, like a, a WordPress or a Wix, and you could build something yourself and then find a menu company like Dispense to attach your menu onto that website. Or if you want to be a little more professional and you don't have the internal resources for it, you can hire an agency to help you build out a website and do all those integrations for you. Um, I would say on average, I see you know agency type packages start around eight grand to get up and running. Um, I know there's some like very cheaper solutions out there that are in like the thousand to two thousand dollar range that is more attractive to some of these people starting up, but. Uh, to be perfectly honest, like it's pretty hard to get a website, a decent website, up and running these days for like under ten grand. Just gonna let that sit for some of the people who have hope to get a multi-million-dollar website for less than ten grand. And I think the the craziest part is they're competing over a market share of you know four billion dollars a year. You said up to nine billion dollars a year, so it is not a small penny that we're looking for, especially from the standpoint that we are still so early on, right? And that. The, the search intents can be so targeted to certain regions from a geographic standpoint, which can be more advantageous for those brands that are smaller, but are looking to compete here locally. Yeah, it's a crazy opportunity. I mean, some people kind of like balk at some of the numbers when they think about the cost. But then when they, you know, I, I mean, if you if you don't think about the return on investment and what's, you know, it's an opportunity cost thing. It's like, when you realize that some of these People, you know, I, I remember talking to somebody in Michigan early on that was like, I'm never going to have a website because I don't want my competitors to be able to look at my prices. And I'm like, dude, you realize your competitors are doing 80% of their sales online and you're missing out on all that because your customers can't look at your inventory. Your customers can't look at your prices. These people are doing a million a month right next door to you online. You know, you're doing 500,000 a month. What what would happen if you, you know, I'm making up numbers at this point, but like that's the reality. You can do a million a month online being one store if you're located in the right area and have the right online presence. And so I think the central message there is that instead of being obsessed with what your competitors are doing, I think doubling down on what your customers need and providing a frictionless experience to make it easy for them and to facilitate a transaction that gets them a product that they want as quick as possible. Totally. I mean, we're we're Cannabis is living in a true omni-channel world right now. And I, I really think it was brought on by COVID. But I mean, you can you can order online, pick up in store. If you're in a state where they have delivery, you can you can order online and get delivery. A lot of cannabis companies have call centers where you can call in and place your order. It's meeting the customer where you're at and making it frictionless, like you said. What does dispense do better than anyone else? I would say the biggest thing is we're we're 100% focused on e-commerce. You know, we've just like the rest of the industry, we've seen a lot of M&A in the software side. Um, you've got other companies out here that are doing e-commerce and POS and a marketplace, and they're diving into ad advertising now too. Um, like we're just focused on e-commerce and focusing on making the best e-commerce experience for retailers. Uh, so that's that's what we do. We're hyper focused on it. You're not going to see us roll out a point of sale system anytime soon and kind of uh, go horizontal, if you will, and spread our resources. Like we're we're here for we're here to help sell cannabis online, and 
we also don't have any marketplace aspect of our business. Um, where a lot of these candidate, where, where a lot of these software companies that provide a menu to you, they also have a marketplace business. So you know, you you go on their website, and you know, like uh, uh, Weedmaps is a great example. You go on Weedmaps.com; it's a marketplace. But then they also have a menu service. Um, to me, that's an inherent conflict of interest because Weedmaps is in the big game of selling cannabis, just like you as a retailer are in the game of selling cannabis. Um, I've seen what happens in that world because, again, of my mainstream technology experience. I've seen it with Amazon. I've seen it with Uber Eats. I've seen it with Grubhub. The marketplace conflict of interest just rarely ends well. Um, so we we are strictly a SaaS platform. I like to say more Shopify than Amazon. So if you are like a small retail location and you're looking to kind of expand your e-commerce or your internet uh, footprint, is this something where we we would bring you guys in, and then is it a smart idea for them to have someone on staff to kind of continually manage it and work with your team, or is that like a service you guys offer? Kind of walk us through kind of like a niche yeah. aspect. You know, it's I think it's a smart idea to have somebody who's focused on on digital marketing in general. You know, maybe they're your like website admin, maybe they're also like helping you place programmatic ad buys, whatever. Um, but one of the interesting things about e-commerce in the cannabis space is that so much of it has been automated through services like Dispense. So if you have an inventory manager on staff already um, and they're doing their job and doing it right, your menu should automatically translate from your POS system to online. If you're accurately putting in a brand name, a product name, weights, all that stuff, we're pulling that directly from your POS, whether it's Trees or FlowHub or LeafLogix or whatever. We're just, boom, pulling that out and automatically organizing it into your online menu. So I, I think you can kind of get away with like a digital marketing generalist plus an inventory manager to make this happen on a shoestring budget. Um, but if you, you know, if you really, if, if you've got Five to ten stores, and you're killing it online. You should absolutely have somebody that's dedicated to like just focusing on your menu itself, updating deals, making sure pricing and photos are are accurate, writing uh, custom descriptions for all of your products. Like the the more unique you can make that online experience, the better. Not only in terms of your customers, but also in terms of Google. I'm likely biased, but marketing always gets pigeonholed into just one central role. And the expectations are to do every single thing at the same time and more so. So I I would say more people, Kellen. More. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think the more custom you can make it, the better. Um, but you can get by. You know, we're, again, it's just an interesting situation where like, even in mainstream um, e-commerce, like not every POS is connected to every e-commerce solution. So oftentimes you are uploading inventory into your POS, but then you have to go to your e-com solution and upload it. That That's one of the areas that we're ahead of the game in cannabis. Like We have these direct connections because we've built these cannabis-specific solutions. Dream smoking session, three people dead or alive. Oh, man. Uh, this was not in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> um, man. Um... This is a hard one, man. I would probably have to go with musicians. Um, I Mac Miller comes to mind. Um, Boz, if anybody knows who he is, he would be a great person to just like chill and get high with. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can come up with a third one, but it would. If if I could, it would probably just be musicians, and I've like had a 
another part of my career at one point was building stages for music festivals. So I've got to I've got to smoke weed with people from all over the industry. Uh, smoking weed weed with metal bands is probably the most interesting people to smoke weed with because they're just like they live a different life than everybody else. But yeah, I, if musicians in general, I love it. What is one factor statistic about operating marketing in the cannabis industry that would surprise or shock others? Traffic to Leafly and Weed Maps peaked in June of 2021. Since then, traffic to organic traffic, organic search traffic specifically. I'm not talking direct traffic. I'm not talking mobile app traffic. Organic is through Google? Through Google, yep. It, It peaked in June of 2021. Since then, Leafly is down 60% in organic traffic. And Weed Maps is down 70%. When you say down 60%, is it closer to what the av- the moving average is? Or is it down 60% like lower than what the average was? From its peak in From June. Its peak. Right. But yep. what would be the, the current status of it, right? I, obviously, COVID was a big, big spike. But do you think it's retained higher than what it was trending towards? Or do you think it, it re- rebounded lower? It's... It looks, I'm looking at the graph right now. It looks like right now it's actually a little bit lower. I would say it's probably back to like, I would say it's probably close to even with, with post COVID or pre COVID levels. Um, but in general, it's trending down. And I think that's because that traffic is going to retail websites now. I think that's a good sign for the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. When you started your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? I didn't have a choice to get anything right or wrong because uh, my my entrance was via my parents. You know, I, I I think for me personally, the war on drugs is what was wrong. You know, like you know, I I, I was somebody who witnessed both of my parents being incarcerated um, for long periods of my childhood. Um, it was very tough. I and you know, I, there was a period in my life where through DARE programs and school counselors, I was constantly told that like, you know, cannabis is a bad thing and you're going to, you know, I mean, I, I had school counselors that told me I would end up dead or in jail, just like my parents. And so I don't know, man, that's a, that's a hard question for me personally. Um, but I, I think that we've come so far since then. And, you know, again, I'm so lucky that the state of Michigan legalized when it did. I, I think beyond that, Getting, getting it right or wrong. I mean, getting it right was just continuing to stick with it and maybe not listening to some of these naysayers out there. Even my mom at one point was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, um, but she was just worried because of the, the past stigma towards it. You know, what I got wrong, maybe occasionally was on a personal level, just not always vetting who I was working with, you know? And I mean, I think a lot of us get that wrong. I, I do have friends that are are dead from being in this industry um, and no longer with us. And so I, I think it's so important previously to, to figure out who you're working with and know and trust them. But um, also now in, in our business sense, when we have legitimate businesses, figure out who those people are. You know, I've, I've definitely lost on deals because I've worked, worked with the wrong people. Really, really powerful. Thanks for sharing. Where we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? I'll try to end it on a positive note. Like, uh, I mean, keep fighting. Like, I mean, I, I was, I mean, I, fifth grade, I wrote a paper in, in D.A.R.E. class on, you know, why not all drugs should be illegal and how abstinence is not the answer. And I, I got to... I, 
I did not think that I, anybody at the D.A.R.E. program would care about that. But I got to read that in front of my whole class. Like That one got picked as like, hey, this is actually good. Um, I mean, I, I wrote from fifth grade all the way through college. I wrote so many papers on why cannabis should be legal, why the war on drugs in general, not just cannabis, was a detrimental thing to our society. And I gave up for a little while, to be honest. Like After college, I stopped talking about it. I went into the real world. I, I started working in technology because that's how I could get paid. And I stopped talking about it for a long time until the opportunity came up to do this in Michigan. So don't give up. Sometimes it might be hard. You might have to pivot, but like keep fighting for what you feel is right. All right. Prediction time. Right. Jeremy, money is at a premium. Limitations are everywhere. How do cannabis companies improve their current marketing efforts today to set themselves up for future success? Yeah. If, if you're a retailer, I think number one is owning your online presence. Um, you know, we, we have this saying where like you can either own your online presence or you can rent it from other people, you know, so renting it would be like paying a marketplace to be the number one spot where you're paying tens of thousands of dollars a month. Or you could invest into SEO or something like that. That's compounding. You know, you invest, you invest once for a three month period and that's going to pay off forever. The other thing I think is just like overall efficiencies. You know, I think the average SKU count for a cannabis retailer right now is something crazy like 1500 SKUs. You don't need to carry that many products. Figure out what sells best, what your customers want and narrow that down. Focus on being efficient and the rest hopefully will fall into place there. Kellen, I'm going to second the efficiency thing. I think that there's a lot of inefficiencies in the cannabis retail space. Uh, you can kind of just see it with the... There's always massive sales, right? And I think that's just a product of carrying too many products, right? Uh, <laughs> um, that don't sell and you're just trying to move certain inventory that's been, a long, been on your shelves for a long time. So you put it on sale. Um, so I think that uh, what Jeremy said as far as like, kind of following like the 80-20 rule, right? So like 20% of your products are going to probably generate 80% of your revenue. And if you just focus on those, you're going to be a lot stronger, at least, in my opinion. I'm curious to get your thoughts though, Brian. I think for me, it would be that understand that these resources that are invested in marketing might not see a direct return into sales right away, but I think are critical for the foundation and the infrastructure of your business. When we build out these retail footprints, we spend millions of dollars building out these stores. And then when we go and invest in our online presence, we try to spend as little as possible when in, in actuality, we probably should be doing it reverse. And yeah. I think that the more we understand that the digital footprint is likely more valuable than your physical footprint, and you can attract such a wider audience that I think once people recognize that they can invest accordingly. And I think they can make a big difference. And I think expanding on that is that you don't need a full suite of people to do these things with tools out there like ChatGPT and other infrastructure assets like Dispense. Just by reading and being aware of what's going on, you can likely improve slowly over time to position yourselves amongst the, the Titans because all the Titans are doing is just kind of doing an arbitrage of spend. And you can be creative resources in order to get up there in that first few rankings in order to generate the interest that you're looking for. I'll say this, if I was building out a new retail footprint, maybe in a newly legal state, I would be focused on location more than anything. And I would I would set a budget for every single one of my stores. I probably wouldn't go over 250000 for a, a remodel. Obviously, you got to account for real estate costs as well. Um, and then I would put everything else into, into marketing and a heavy portion of it would be online. Very little of it would be outside of the online world. 100%. 
So Jeremy, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more about some of your writings and they want to contact you for Dispense. Where can they find you? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm on LinkedIn all day long. If you type in Jeremy Dispense, you'll find me. You can find me at jeremy at dispenseapp.com if you want to email me. That's pretty much it. I'm on I'm on email and I'm on LinkedIn. We'll link it all to the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you guys. Fun conversation. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.